things and so much more to us. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11 today, picking up where we left off a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to share with you a message that I have titled, Ousting Your Outside Only Religion. Now, I heard about a pastor who was invited one day to the home of one of his flock, one of the members of his flock, and as he thought about the invitation, he considered the fact that he had heard and he had seen in the past that this woman was not the cleanest of individuals, and she didn't do such a great job with housekeeping and this kind of weight on his mind, but still, he wanted to be among his flock, and so he decided that he was going to go just the same for this dinner invitation. Well, as he arrived at the lady's home, he noticed that they had the table set and they were serving in a buffet-style line the food that they were going to be eating for the evening. And so as he went to pick up his plate, he noticed that the plate had some kind of streaks on it. It looked a little bit filthy, but he flipped it over, looked at the bottom side, and the bottom side looked to be okay. And so you know, he finally mustered up enough courage to, to ask the lady, you know, I just want to be sure, is this stack of dishes right here, is this, are these clean dishes? And she, she said to him, those dishes are as clean as soap and water could get them. And so he said, okay, well, you know, he had some reservations, but he went ahead and scooped on the, the casserole and the other sides that he was going to be eating and He sat down, he said the blessing for the family, they enjoyed the meal, and actually he found that this food was very delicious, and he was feeling a little bit guilty for saying anything to the lady before this point about the dishes, and so he made sure to tell her what an excellent cook she was and how much he enjoyed the meal, and all seemed to be well. As a matter of fact, he was even thinking in his mind, well, well, what could be going on with these dishes? You know, he was thinking maybe, maybe something's wrong with their dishwasher, they've got a defective dishwasher. When... Suddenly, to his surprise, at the end of the meal, his hostess came and took those dishes off of the table and called to her chihuahuas in the next room saying, Here soap, here chihuahua, here soap, here water. <laughs> Most of us in that sort of situation would be pretty disgusted, would we not? In this day of enlightenment about germs and diseases and bacteria and the like, that sort of experience would have been enough to send most of us over the edge, right? I mean, if most of us see even just a hair in our food in the restaurant, we hasten to contact the nearest of the wait staff in order to inform them that we would like a replacement for our food, unless you're one of those people who's like worried about what they do with the food when they take it back, right? If the dishes, on the other hand, are not properly cleaned, then we have no desire for the food that they hold. And as we come to the closing episode here in Luke chapter 11, we find Jesus talking about dirty dishes. And let me just say, wives, that I'm sorry, but this is not the biblical passage that, con- that commands your husband to wash those dishes that you've always dreamed was there somewhere hidden away. But it is important that this passage shows us how important it is if we refuse to live a life 
that is clean on the inside. It's a passage which calls us to evaluate how we could be like the dish that is only clean on the outside. Just as a dish that has been licked by a dog on the inside is filthy and detestable to us, Jesus shows us in this passage that a life that only focuses on looking clean on the outside is filthy and detestable to God. And that's why I've titled my message on this passage, Ousting Your Outside Only Religion. Because that's what Jesus would have us to do. God isn't impressed with a life that merely looks holy. He wants clean hearts. And those, my friends, can only be found in Christ. Well, as this passage starts out, we'll see that Jesus receives an invitation to lunch. And this invitation comes in Luke's gospel just after Jesus has wrapped up his preaching against those who had accused him of both doing his work by the power of Satan and also those who were just never content to have enough signs from God such that they were continually asking for another sign, another confirmation that Jesus was, in fact, God's representative. And in fact, if we look at the parallel accounts of this episode in Matthew chapter 12 and Mark chapter 3, what we find is that the individuals who said these things, the individuals who said that Jesus' preaching was by the power of Satan, and the individuals who said that they needed more signs from him as a confirmation of who he was, were none other than the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's coming right after Jesus' discussion with them about how ultimately he couldn't be working for the power of Satan unless Satan was tearing his own kingdom down and how if they demand more signs they're going to see the only sign they need which is the resurrection from the dead the sign of Jonah that we talked about two weeks ago Jesus confronts the scribes and the Pharisees and then we find in our passage here today that it is in fact a Pharisee coming out of that conversation coming out of that teaching of Jesus who asks that Jesus would come and be a guest in his own home now the Pharisees were this very small but but still greatly influential group within the Judaism the the Jewish religious system of Jesus's day with a steep tradition that had long ago started out with God's law which revealed in the Old Testament, the Pharisees had added to that law many rules and many regulations of their own. And, and they did this ultimately starting out with kind of a good intent in mind. You know, if, if the Bible said that they shouldn't touch certain things, they would make an extra provision to say, I won't even go near that thing that I'm not supposed to touch. And they put extra rules to say, you've got to stay this far away or you've got to take these provisions in order to ensure that you stay holy, in order to ensure that you obey the law. But they added these rules and over time they began to give greater attention to their own, ma- own man-made rules and their own man-made traditions than to the actual content of God's law. Now ultimately, God's law, as we learned about as we dug deep into the into the book of Galatians uh, months ago 
God's law ultimately is intended to draw us to Christ, to point us to Christ. It is in our own insufficiency to keep the law. It's in our own insufficiency to perform all these rules that we cry out to God for mercy that he would provide one who could do that for us, and that is what Christ came to do. The law drives us into a desire for God's grace, which is so richly met in Christ. And so the Pharisees... We're not looking for that sort of thing. They were thinking that if they could keep the regulations, if they could keep the law, then they themselves would earn a holy status before God. And this caused them to look down on others. It caused them to be so fastidious in everything that they did that they could not honor God with their lives. And they looked down on everyone else. They tried to give the impression that they, because of their outward striving to keep religious traditions built on top of God's law, were more righteous and more worthy of God's favor than anyone who was not doing these things. And then we find in verse 45 that it's not just Jesus and this Pharisee who has invited him who are around this table. There's also one who's referred to as a lawyer, and we've seen lawyers just as we've seen Pharisees already in our study through Luke, but just a reminder that the lawyers that we find in Jesus' day were not lawyers like we see on television, you know, telling you to call and report your accident, we'll be happy to help you. Now, these are lawyers who were ultimately a part of the group known as the scribes, the individuals who manually copied out God's word. You see, they didn't have photocopiers like we did today, so the scribes would manually copy God's word, and over time, some of them would become well-versed in what God's word had to say. So individuals would come to them for interpretations of how God's law should be lived out. They were lawyers, but they were lawyers of God's law, the Old Testament. These scriptures which contain God's revelation for his people. And so that's the sort of guy that that we see making appearance in the latter part of this passage. And as a subtitle of this passage, you'll see that I describe the events that are contained in this passage with these words. Jesus has the Pharisees lunch and the lawyers too. Because as Jesus has an opportunity to minister to these individuals over a meal, he doesn't just consume the meal. He consumes the faulty outside only religion that these individuals are practicing and so join me now in Luke chapter 11 starting in verse 37 and and you'll get a sense of what I mean here if you will let's stand together that we might honor the reading of God's word as we start in Luke chapter 11 verse 37 hear the word of God now when he that is Jesus had spoken A Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones did not he who made the outside make the inside also but give that which is within as charity and all things are clean for you but woe to you Pharisees for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb and yet disregard justice 
and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. One of the lawyers said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. But he said, Woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh down men with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses and approve of the deeds of your fathers because it was they who killed them and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles and some of them they will kill and some of them they will persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Now, as we've just seen, when Jesus comes to lunch with this Pharisee, he goes straight to the table and he reclines at the table. That's what individuals would do. That was just the custom of this day. Individuals who gathered together for a meal like this, often if you had a prominent speaker in town, those who were prominent in the town would invite them in and it would become kind of this public discourse where individuals could come around. But in any case, those who would gather for a meal would would lean against one elbow on their side with their feet kind of pointed away from the table and they would eat with one hand and enjoy the fellowship and conversation with uh, that relaxed sort of position that was just customary in the day but what what really caught the pharisees attention was not that custom but there was another custom that he expected jesus to observe as jesus came here and joined him for this meal and so the pharisees surprised in verse 38 he's he's surprised that jesus is in keeping a custom but it's a custom that is not required of god's law it's a custom of washing one's hands before the meal. Now, when you and I think about washing our hands before a meal, we think about being physically clean. We think about preventing any bacteria or germs that might taint our food and make us sick. We think about getting all those things off of our hands before we use them to eat. Well, that's not what this ritual was after in Jesus' day. Even if an individual's hands were physically clean, He had to undergo this ritual because this ritual had not physical cleanliness but moral cleanliness as its goal. You see, the Pharisees were concerned that they might be unholy in some way because of what they had touched. And so they would wash their hands ceremonially in case they might have touched a Gentile that day or touched something that a Gentile had touched or touched something unclean other than that by themselves. This ritual 
was to symbolize their holiness and their desire to be separated from all that was unclean in the world. In fact, their religious traditions even legislated the amount of water which was to be used as they washed their hands in this ceremonial cleansing. An individual was was directed by the Mishnah to use enough water to fill one and a half eggshells. And they were to let that water run down on their wrists, dipping in with their hands like so. Because if it ran onto their arms, then what was unholy, which was being washed away on their hands, would then cause their arms to be unholy. And you see just the, the minutia, the tediousnesses of all of this that was added on top of what God's word never commanded for his people. Unless we think that this was just some strange passing fad in traditional Judaism, I actually came across a Jewish website just this week that describes the differences in various Jewish sects. And, and that website contains an article about hand-washing for modern Jews that some modern Jews still partake in. That article mentions that after washing his or her hands, a Jew will typically recite these words. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commanded us commandments and commanded us concerning the washing of the hands. Now, do you know what the only issue with that might be? God never commanded his people to wash their hands in this way. That's a tradition that was elevated to the status of God's word. And I feel sure that Jesus avoided this tradition so that he could teach the people who were gathered in this place the lesson that follows. And the lesson that he teaches is that the Pharisees were steeped in an outside-only sort of religion. They had, in fact, bought into a religion which had led them away from God. And let me just say this. It's easy for any of us to fall into the habit of practicing an outside-only religion. It's easy for us to fall into the routine of, of coming to church, of talking the talk, of looking good in front of our friends, in front of our co-workers, of, of hanging the Bible verses on the walls of our homes, and so on and so forth, without giving attention to the matters of the heart. And I dare say that all of us are susceptible, susceptible for, to this sort of trend at any given time unless we give steadfast attention to our hearts. What's on the inside of this dish that we are. But we must fight against an outside-only sort of religion. We must wage war with anything less than yielding our entire hearts and our entire lives to Christ. Let me show you why from this passage. As I share with you this week, and then we're going to split some of this up and share it next week, but overall I'm going to share with you seven reasons why you must oust your outside-only religion. We're going to look at three of those today. Here's the first one. Outside-only religion prevents lasting peace. Now, Jesus, what he does in these verses is something that most of us would never expect a dinner guest to do in our homes, unless, you know, maybe like if it's a family member, right? 
I mean, sometimes those family member conversations can get a little bit dicey around the table. But here we've got a guest of someone who's not a part of a physical bloodline family who's gathered here. And Jesus confronts his host who's invited him for a meal in his sin. And though the Pharisee may have washed his hands, Jesus can see that he has not allowed God to wash his heart. And so he says to this Pharisee in verse 39, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you you are full of robbery and wickedness. You see, Jesus is showing the Pharisee that God sees his insides, and he sees that they are no better than a dish that has been licked clean by dogs in the illustration that I used earlier. The Pharisee here thinks, oh, I'll take care of the outside. I'll follow all of the traditions. I'll look good. I'll carry my Bible wherever I go. I won't dare get caught in in the misfortunate places in town. You won't see me walking into that bar. I'll go above and beyond, and God will be lucky to have me. That's the sort of mentality that a Pharisee lives out. But my friends, our God sees what's on the inside. There's no outward display that can conceal from him what's on the inside of us, what our motives are, why we do the things that we do. Jesus didn't have to give this Pharisee a time of confession. He simply calls out what's inside of the Pharisee here in verse 39. He knows what's on the inside. He knows that that's where in this man robbery and wickedness abound. And my friends, he knows what's on the inside of you too. He knows. You may put on a good front in front of everyone else, but but our God made the inside. He didn't just make the outside of you. He knows what's on the inside of your heart. He knows why you do the things you do. And you might be able to Convince me that your motives are pure. You might be able to put on a good front for anyone that's gathered here, but ultimately, God looks on your heart. And so Jesus calls us here to be sure that we're not living with a sort of outside-only religion. And as he looks on the inside of this Pharisee, he sees that this Pharisee was selfish. On the inside, he was all about advancing his own agenda, his own agenda of holiness, setting himself apart, as special. He he was all about his agenda that did not cause him to advance God's agenda as he left others in his wake who felt as though they were not as worthy. And so he would not love his Lord, his God, with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He would not love his neighbor as himself, as Jesus has already taught. One lawyer, as we saw earlier in Luke chapter 10, And that's a foolish thing to do. Jesus actually makes it clear when he calls the Pharisees foolish ones here in verse 40. And friends, I want you to think just about your own personal holiness right now. And I don't want you just to consider the things that you've done. I want you to consider your heart. Consider what's on the inside. Where are your desires? What are you planning to do with your life this coming week? What are your great ambitions over the coming months and over the coming years? 
Are you giving what is inside as charity, as a tool to be used by God in advancing his kingdom? If not, you may well be falling into the trap of an outside-only religion. And our God didn't just make the outside. He made the inside also. It is his handiwork. It belongs to him. And each of us ought to freely offer it to him. We will find our greatest satisfaction when our life and our ambitions and our goals are centered in him. That's the way he made us to be. Each of us ought to freely offer all that we are to him. When we try to hold back our hearts from charity by living our lives with hatred or with unforgiveness or with pride and so on and so forth, we are robbing the Lord of what rightfully belongs to him. And that's a foolish thing to do. Jesus plainly says so. Now, there's a difference between what Jesus does here and what he commands us not to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you might have heard Jesus saying, you foolish ones, I said, well, wait a minute, didn't Jesus teach us that if we caught someone a fool, we were guilty of murder? Well, there's a difference of motive. There's a difference of intent here that we can see even in the fact that Jesus is gathered in this Pharisee's home. I mean, Jesus could have wiped them off of the map, could he not? And yet he accepts the invitation of one of those who is the greatest enemies of Christianity at that time. And why would he accept that invitation? Because Jesus was not willing that any should perish, but desiring that all would come to eternal life. And that remains true today, my friends. Jesus is not willing that any should perish. If you're practicing an outside-only sort of religion, my friends, his desire is still for you. He still welcomes a time to win you. His desire is to woo this individual. He, he warns these Pharisees. He warns the lawyer because ultimately his desire is that they would heed the warning and come to know true life, true blessing, all the things that God has promised to us. There's still hope for the outside-only religionist who will turn from his or her self-sufficiency and cling to Christ. But first, that individual must recognize his peril. And it is a great peril indeed. It's the fool's peril. And so Jesus calls a spade a spade here. But he does so with a love that desires for this one to be restored. And there will be times when we need to call individuals out on their sin. But when we do so, we must check our hearts to be sure that we are not desiring the downfall of those whom we confront. But we are desiring to see them one to the Lord. Paul instructs us in this way in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. That's where he says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And yeah, we may be salty at times, but let us never lose our emphasis on grace, because it is grace that has won us. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And my friends, that same grace will lead others home if we will be rich to extend what God has freely given to us. 
And Jesus reserved his sharpest criticism for those who were in a position of religious influence but not leading individuals toward God. Think of how this could have gone another way. Think of how Jesus had come and had not been confrontational with people like that. What would have happened after Jesus ascended into heaven? I mean, these individuals, the Pharisees, were already seen as the religious elites of their time. I mean, if people had questions they were going to ask, they were going to go to this group and their friends, the lawyers and the scribes. But can you imagine, after Jesus is resurrected, how these individuals would have just swooped in and said, okay, now, let's all follow the rules. We're going to earn our favor with God. If individuals are leading someone else away from Christ by their fastidious observance of rules, and I don't care what rules they are. It could be like, you've got to be reading my Bible translation. You've got to be dressing the same way that I am. You've got to be following the same customs that I am, whatever those might be. If through those things, individuals are leading individuals away from Christ, those are the ones, my friends, we must be sure to call out, to confront. Because Jesus sets an example for us here. This Pharisee had a problem. He was willing to have Jesus for lunch, but he wasn't willing to have Jesus as his Lord. And I said, what about you? Are you willing to tolerate Jesus? Or are you willing to yield your life to him? And let's notice what outside-only religion was doing to this Pharisee. He was paranoid. I mean, he was astonished when Jesus didn't follow a custom. As a matter of fact, that word that he was surprised that Jesus had not washed his hands, that's the same word that was used when the crowd was astonished at Jesus' healing of this man who was demon-possessed and unable to speak earlier in Luke chapter 10. Same word. This guy's astonished to see that someone wouldn't be following this exact sort of ritual. His, His emotions are all wrapped up in this thing. He was so accustomed to walking on pins and needles, so to speak, at least wherever he went, that there was no relaxing. There was no enjoying fellowship with God for him. And that's what a legalistic, pharisaical sort of mentality which seeks to save yourself by observing all the rules will do to you. Because there's no peace, my friends, in trying to earn your own right standing before God. You'll always be paranoid about whether or not you are clean enough. But when our hearts are given to the Lord, all things become clean for us. He takes control. You see, when the decisions that we make are submitted to his lordship, we can rest in the confidence that those decisions will lead us down clean paths. They are clean because they are his. And that's what Jesus says here in verse 41. He says, give that which is within as charity, and then all things will be clean for you. So I ask, do you have peace with God? Or are you constantly worried about whether or not you're clean enough? My friends, none of us, none of us, not one single one of us will ever be clean enough on our own. There's no atonement that we can make on our own that will cover that sin. There's no ritual that we can undertake that will, that will wash away that void in our lives. But here's the good news of the gospel, friends. Jesus has come as the clean one. Jesus has come as the sinless one. Jesus has come 
as the one who lived the flawless life that we could not live. He has come as God in the flesh, reconciling the world to himself, such that when he died, he bore the penalty that our uncleanliness deserves. He bore the wrath that we deserve. And when we are placed in him by faith, entrusting our lives to him, God looks on us and sees not our uncleanliness, but Christ's righteousness. My friends, that is a glorious thing. That is something you'll never attain on your own. God simply calls for us to entrust all that we are, all that we will be to his son who has accomplished it all for us. An outsider-only religion prevents lasting peace. That's the first lesson of why you should oust your outside-only religion. Here's the second one. Outside-only religion misses God's greater mandates. In verse 42, Jesus kicks off what will be a series of six woes that we'll look at this week and next. That is, there are six phrases where Jesus says, Woe to you. The New Living Translation translates this word woe here as what a sorrow awaits you. That's a word of warning. Jesus is giving words of warning to these individuals who are caught up in an outside-only sort of religion. And the first warning in verse 42 is that the Pharisees in their outside-only religion were missing the greater mandates of God. That's why he calls them out for paying tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb while while disregarding justice and God's love. Now, our God is a God of justice. He's a God who cares for the widow and for the orphan. He's the God who sees value in every life, whether it's the baby in the womb or the immigrant at the border. Our God sees value in every one of them, and he calls for us as his people to make a difference that would seek for justice and love in every one of those circumstances. So we must be a people of justice, caring for our fellow image bearers and showing them God's love no matter how different they may be than us. Now, if you were kind of looking up what Jesus is talking about when he talks about tithing of mint and rue, you would see that these are herbs that grow. I don't know if any of you have ever grown an herb garden, but herbs are like tiny little stringy sort of plants that grow up. And you can imagine tithing on those things. I mean, like, what, what's the proper protocol? You know, do I line them up and count the stems and then a tenth of the stems go to the Lord? Or do I count the leaves on them? I mean, it's a, it's a very tedious sort of task. And that's what the Pharisees were all about. They were in this tedious sort of religion that was seeking to constantly do the things which they thought would set them right with God. But it's interesting here to me that, you know, I'll have an individual who tells me every once in a while that God never teaches about tithing in the New Testament. Well, Jesus is speaking directly about tithing here, and he's talking about the Pharisees and how they tithe of the mint and the rue. But he doesn't say you should not do these things. He ultimately says that they should have done some other things in addition to doing these things. But there's a more important mandate that Jesus draws out here. We ought to tithe, but we must not be content only to tithe. We must not let the tediousness of following the rules keep us from exercising justice and love. And you know, this is this is a a real danger to me personally. Because there's a lot of things where I tend to be a perfectionist. I want things to be done just 
right. I'll give you an example. So the chairs that you're sitting in now, we moved things around a lot for our Easter service this year, and we wanted to make sure we had room for any guests that we had for Easter this year. And in the process, we moved the chairs around a lot. We got done with that. I thought, you know, let's, let's make a little more use of the space we've got over here and, and put some chairs there. And, and I looked online to see what's the proper distance to put between church chairs. And I know that the, the optimal distance is 38 inches, okay? And so I, being the perfectionist that I am, brought the ruler out. And I walked through each row and measured them out such that we had 38 inches between. Do you know how long it took for y'all to mess that up? <laughs> I mean, like 20 minutes, maybe. The thing was wasted. And those are, that's time that I could have been out showing justice and the love of God. And I've got to confess that I am prone to be in this sort of mentality. I think we all are at times. And it takes for us this recounting, this association, this, this evaluation of who we are. And, and reestimating and seeing, am I putting my priorities on the right things today? Because I'm prone to get these things out of whack. And outside only religion misses the greater mandates. That's the second reason you must oust your outside only religion. There's a third and a final one for today. Outside only religion trades eternal peace for empty perks. You see, the Pharisees were an elite group. Their outward religion got them some great perks. Here Jesus speaks of some of those perks. He talks about how they had access to the chief seats in the synagogues and how they had respectful greetings in the marketplace. Reminds me of of my former days in more of a high church sort of atmosphere where we used to gather with the large church chairs in the front of the sanctuary. And I remember being involved uh, as one who kind of led the liturgy in a Presbyterian church in the past, and I would, I would sit in those chairs and think, yeah, this is a pretty neat setup. <laughs> I mean, everybody else has got to sit on those pews, but I've got this, you know, it's taller than my head. I can lean back whatever way I want to. It's a very, very comfortable sort of seating arrangement. But ultimately, we are not here to enjoy the benefits. We are here to be the servants of the kingdom. The benefits are rightfully ours as joint heirs in Christ, and we can rejoice in those things, but God's got something more than that for us, my friends. When we were gathered there at camp with our students, we we saw uh, them playing a good bit of of what you probably saw in the video. They're gathered around that ring in a game called Gaga Ball, right? They're hitting the ball back and forth, and if the ball hits you on the legs, you're out. Well, we noticed as leaders, as we're watching them play this Gaga Ball, that a lot of the kids that were in there were there to the end for every game because they had a little bit more of a lenient interpretation on what it meant to be out in Gaga Ball. And so we gathered our students up, and we said, do you see those kids who are doing that sort of thing? I, I said, I would rather be the first one out who kept my integrity than to be there to the end and to have those who question it. And our students understood that. They were holding one another accountable. They couldn't cheat because they had each other to call each other out. But you know, it's okay to lose a game. But it's not okay to lose your integrity. It's okay to lose a job. But it's not okay to lose your integrity. It's okay to lose a bet. But it's not okay to lose your integrity. 
My friends, we must guard these things closely. And the Pharisees lost their integrity as they sought to show everyone else around them how perfect they were. My friends, we can sniff out a fraud. I mean, you may think that you can convince everyone. As we've already talked about, God sees your heart. And there are probably others who see a lot more than you think they see. But I do not desire the honor. You know, when we put the sign out by the road, it doesn't say Pastor Jeremy Parker because I don't deserve the honor. Christ has done all that is honorable in my life. I make a lousy substitute for one that would receive honor. I just want you all to know, but not Christ. He is worthy of all the honor. He is worthy of all the praise. To, to him be all the glory forevermore. Let my name be laid in the dust. Let his name be exalted on high. The Pharisees, they love to look down on others. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 23. He said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whomever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. You see, outside-only religion trades eternal peace for empty perks. But you know, my friends, those perks will fade. I, I mean, being known as a regular churchgoer, will fade winning the gaga ball game will fade titles that we bear they will fade but one thing will not fade and that my friends is your very soul are you giving attention to that which is on the inside of the dish that you are and not only to cleansing the outside because God's word makes it so clear to us and we need to oust the outside only sort of religion. Christ has come so that we could have something greater. Christ has come so that we wouldn't have to live with the paranoia about how fastidious we've been in the rules. Christ has come so that we could receive righteousness and drink freely from the water of God without cost. My friends, Christ has come so that you don't have to live with an outside only sort of righteousness. He's come so that he can cleanse you in ways that you can never cleanse yourself. And so I call upon you. Trust in him. Yield your lives to him. And he will guide you into a life that enjoys true peace. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, I just praise you that when I found that I myself was unable to be righteous, when, when I became aware of my own inconsistencies and my own inability to live up to your standards, I praise you, God, that you bridged the gap, that, that you sent one to me, not that one who was already where I could not go on my own. You sent one to me as a missionary to bring life, to bring hope, to bring righteousness that I could not earn on my own. God, I thank you for Jesus who has come so that whoever among this assembly, even here today, whoever would entrust his or her life to you would find a righteousness that was not their own, but was a righteousness that was imparted because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. 
And Father, I can't see into every heart here today, but you can. I, I can't always detect those who are only on the outside when it comes to their religious habits, but you can, oh Lord. You know every heart. And God, you prod in places that I could never go. And so by the power of your word in these moments, Lord, I just pray that if there are those who are gathered here on this day who need a greater righteousness, I pray you'd help them to know that your love is steadfast and true and that your love has sent one who has borne the wrath on their behalf. And Father, there may be some here today who would desire in one way or another to commit themselves to you in a fresh sort of way. Maybe, maybe there are some who, like myself, would find themselves off track at points and, and we, Father, we, we find ourselves wandering from your path. We find ourselves exhibiting for a time at least this outside-only sort of religion. You deserve so much more than that, though, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that in these moments you would call individuals to respond in a way that would, that would commit themselves fresh and new. Maybe there are some others, Lord, who, who've never truly thought. Maybe they've been in sort of situations where people have told them that they'll never be good enough and they bought into that lie. The truth is we truly will never be good enough, but you've provided one who is good enough for us. Father, if there are those who are a part of that number here today, I just pray that your grace would be so richly on display through your word, through what Jesus has done, that they would cling to you in these moments. And Father, I'm just going to call now that as every, every eye is closed, every head is bowed, as, as the individuals who are here are gathered in this place, if, if there's some decision that you need to make, if there's some decision, Lord, that these people who are gathered here need to make, I just pray you'd help me to speak to them now. If that's you, if you're here, if you've got some decision to make today, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different today. Maybe, maybe there's just a prayer need that you have. Maybe there's some aspect of this that you're struggling with. Maybe there's some person in your life that you've gotten, gotten this fair say, Pharisee sort of mentality to say that I, I, God can't reach them. I just, I just want to say that if you're, if you're in this sort of mode of living an outside-only religion, if you're in this sort of mode of looking down on others, if, if you're in this sort of mode, God wants you to break free from that. And if you're struggling with that or, or if you're struggling with other decisions or you just got some deep prayer need in your life, I'm going to ask you just to take the little flap out of your bulletin or just grab your bulletin or, or maybe even just in this moment, raise your hand just so that I can know that, that you have a need that needs to be addressed, and there's, there's a prayer need that, that you would like for your pastor to be praying over you. No one else is looking. No one else sees what's going on in these moments. If there's some decision that you need to make in your life, thank you, brother. If there's some other need that, 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 that you are battling with, and you just want a little extra prayer, a little, little extra ounce of God's grace, or you want to show that you are yielding yourself to him in this moment, I just pray that you'd raise your hand. Thank you, brother. We're going to close with a time of worship. I'm going to ask for those of you who did uh, raise your hands just to find a little quiet time to reach out to me or, or I can try to reach out to you this coming week. And, and we're going to take a little chance to love on you for the Lord. And we're going to close with a time of, of worship, a time when I, I get to join in with our worship band and leading you in praise. But, but know this, God is so rich in his mercy and he is so ready to answer those prayers. And it is a joy for me to be able to be a partner in the gospel and sharing these things with you. So, Father, we just praise you for your work in the lives of those who are gathered here on this day and pray that we would not practice outside-only religion, but we would pursue you with clean hearts, made clean by the one who can do what we could never do. We rejoice in his name, the name that is Jesus. Amen.